You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Thanks for tuning in to the Southern Way Hunting Podcast on the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Josh Raley, and on this show, you'll hear hunting tactics, stories, and strategies from hunters across the South. Our aim is to sharpen our skills as hunters and outdoorsmen, become more efficient and effective in pursuit of our craft, and even have a little fun while we're at it. And of course, no matter the pursuit, we focus on doing things the Southern way. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Southern Way Hunting Podcast. Got a good one for you this week. I was able to catch up with Taylor Philpot and Justin Grogan of Revive Outdoors. They were both able to fill their tag during Tennessee's Velvet Hunt. That is a hunt that I have not uh, availed myself of yet, but one that I'm looking forward to possibly trying out next fall. I know I've got a big trip up to uh, North Dakota next September, so that may play a little bit funky there with the dates of, uh, of heading out to Tennessee Velvet Hunt in August, but Man, what an awesome opportunity, I feel like, is coming now to the South for many of us to have a chance at a velvet buck. So when I saw that they were both able to tag out, I wanted to have the guys on not only to learn about Revive Outdoors and what they're doing there and our shared faith, but also to hear the stories of these bucks because there are two absolutely beautiful deer. Justin got his deer on a property that he got permission on, and Taylor got his deer on public ground. Now, this was Justin's first year doing the hunt. It was Taylor's third year of doing the hunt. Their stories are very, very different, but the success is still just as sweet. And there's a lot to learn from both of their hunts and the way that they were able to find success. Now, we recorded all of this at one time as one conversation, but as we broke the stories down, they were really so separate because the guys weren't necessarily hunting together that I'm actually going to air this as a two-part series In this first part, we're going to learn about Revive Outdoors, how it came to be, how these guys started hunting together, and we're going to hear the story of Justin's buck on some land that he had permission on not too far from Nashville. And then in episode two that's going to air next week, we're going to hear from Taylor about how he finally got it done on public ground. It sounds like they've got a a great group of guys, not only with Revive Outdoors, but where uh, Taylor has been their hunting public ground in Tennessee. And I just want to wrap up this intro by saying thank you so much for for listening one more week. I have uh, been pretty surprised by the download numbers. Like I said last week, I know there's an appetite for this kind of content. I did not expect to jump into it and have so many people jumping on board so quickly. So thank you so much for listening. Now let's talk about the hunt for some Tennessee velvet. All right, joining me for this week's episode of the podcast, I have Taylor Philpott and Justin Grogan with Revive Outdoors. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, man. Yeah, thank you guys for coming on. It's a, it's a small world. I, I saw, I mean, I've been following you guys on uh, on Instagram for on Revive Outdoors 
um, for a little while. I saw some velvet bucks start popping up in my feed, so I'm like, all right, let me reach out to these guys and see uh, if they might be interested in coming on and sharing the story. But small world, you live in a town I used to live in uh, that I have a special place in my heart for and not not too terribly far from me now. So, um, man, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool how God uh, makes those connections for us. But, uh, yeah, just we're honored to be on the podcast with you today. And uh, thanks to everyone who's listening to us and uh, hopefully provide some valuable insight to you. Well, you know what? I found the podcast uh, audience to be pretty forgiving, right? Like even when I don't provide them any value at all, they give me, they show me some grace and they show up again next week. So, uh, yeah, I'll double down on that. Thanks, guys, for being awesome and uh, for listening to the show for, you know, for another week. So, but guys, let's, let's kick things off here a little bit. Why don't you each tell me a little bit about you individually, and then we're going to jump into hearing a bit about Revive Outdoors before we learn about the, the velvet bucks you guys just took down. Yeah, go ahead, Justin. Uh, well, um, my name's Justin Grogan, like Josh said, and um, live in Alabama. I've lived in Birmingham area for my entire life, um, exception for when I went went off to the University of Alabama to go to college. Uh, while I was there, I uh, fell in love with my career, which is a firefighter paramedic. I've been doing that for 12 years. Um, the schedule is what drew me to that because my first love and passion is deer hunting. Um, and working 24 on and 48 off, that gave me plenty of time to um, – pursue that hobby and uh, married with two kids um, love every bit of that it's a uh, biggest blessing of my life and yeah, that's pretty much it I'm I am uh, completely obsessed with deer hunting I will eat sleep breathe it year round and that's uh, pretty much me in a nutshell there you go so how, how did you and Taylor uh, meet or get connected so that's a funny story um, and we actually have a, uh, video on our YouTube channel that there's a big buck that one of our other guys on revive was able to harvest two years ago. Um, but a guy that I worked with in the fire department had just bought a house with some property and his neighbor, um, showed him a picture of a deer that he had on there. And this deer is what, 156 inch deer. Yep. Uh, so what's big for our area, right? Right. And, um, I was like, how can I hunt this deer? Well, Taylor and I live in the same neighborhood and I'd been seeing some stuff he put on a revives page and it was just, he was just kicking it off. And so I reached out to him and came up to his house and talked to him and, uh, I showed him the deer and he was able to get access and we just built a relationship around that and, uh, it's developed into a friendship and, um, we now have Chris who's not with us and take, um, Ray McCollum, who's actually overseas serving right now. Um, but that all of us have connected based off pretty much that one deer and it's built what we have today. So, yeah, did, so, did, so Ray showed the picture to Justin's friend. Justin shows the picture to me. I get permission to hunt the spot where we think it lives. Chris also gets the permission to hunt the spot where it lives. And then we go to hunting it, you know, Chris, I, I almost killed it. Had some coyotes mess me up. He bedded next to me for three hours. Um, and there's just fines in the way of the shot with the bow. And then, um, you know, Chris ends up killing it last day of the season. Uh, Ray ends up reaching out after we post the episode. It's called big daddy's the saga of big daddy. Cause it was just like a, like I pretty much quit doing anything other than hunting that deer. And, um, <laughs> 
Chris, it was the last day. I'm tired of hunting. I say, Chris, I need you to go hunt this spot. I'm going to go hunt this spot. One of us is going to kill this deer. And Chris ended up getting it. And, um, yeah, it's just been really cool for all of us to connect that way. And, you know, Ray's on the team now. And um, he was really cool about, like, but he also learned a valuable lesson. You don't show a picture till you got it on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I got to say, though, like, a deer of that caliber anywhere, like, not not just – Alabama, right? But a deer of that caliber could have taken you four guys and made you mortal enemies. Like yeah, it, it didn't have to have the impact that it did on y'all, but instead it gelled you together as as a team, man. Like what a what a statement I think to each of you and your character and and your love for the sport above your love for holding antlers in your hand. Right. It, it didn't matter who was able to fill the tag. We just it became to a point where we just wanted success for all of us. And it felt like we all killed that deer when Chris was able to uh, tag him out. So that was um, huge for us. And it's definitely jailed our team more than I would think anything else. Um, I can't, it, God used that in ways that what society says should have ripped us apart. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we all needed it in that season too, because I think we're all people who want to bring unity to the sport and we're all bothered by the division that the sport brings. And, um, you know, if, if we're not going to be the ones that set the example for what we want, then who is, you know, and I think that's a, a prime example of what revive outdoors is, is I don't care how you hunt, if it's legal and you're happy, that's what makes us happy is that you're happy doing something that you love. Right. Right. Well, man, on, on that point, Taylor, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and then we'll jump straight into, you know, hearing about Revive Outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am married to my wife. We uh, grew up together here in the Birmingham area. We have uh, been dating since high school, got married shortly thereafter. I joined the military and joined the Air Force. Um, we were in the Air Force. I say we because, you know, a spouse is always with you and <laughs> or without you when you're not there. And, um, so we were in six years, I ended up getting medically retired, uh, due to neck and back issue that I have and a bunch of other stuff that goes on. And, um, yeah, I didn't really expect getting out that quick. Uh, ended up going through ministry school, getting connected to a pest control business, uh, fell in love with pest control and just the opportunity to serve people, um, ended up going and serving with the church for a few years and, um, loved it. I was thankful for the impact that we made while we were there. Uh, my wife and I were both involved heavily in that. Um, but really just saw that, um, I wanted to take what the church has and share it with people in the outdoors. I had a guy come to my house one time and say, I would much rather his only off day was Sunday. And he said, I would much rather, be sitting in a tree stand thinking about God on a Sunday than sitting in a pew at church thinking about hunting. And that kind of sparked something for me in my brain of like, man, I've got to take this to those guys. Right. And, um, so we, uh, ended up moving back home to Birmingham after that. And, um, we ended up having, uh, a daughter my wife was pregnant with. She ended up being stillborn and it just put us into a spiral of grief and, and heartache. And we ended up having two more miscarriages in the same year and a half. And um, out of that, I found myself going to the woods, you know, angry, sad, upset, whatever it was. I could go out there and tell God how I felt. And I just knew, you know, that I already wanted to do something in the outdoors. But that really pushed me 
over the edge to, to create Revive Outdoors. And so it started in 2020 and um, just slowly started guiding people hunting. And, um, you know, Justin comes on board and, you know, he, he wanted to, you know, create some content and I started creating content and people enjoyed the content and I'm like, well, I guess we'll keep going with this. And, um, you know, if it were up to me, I wouldn't be on social media period. You know, it's not really something that, that I prefer, but, um, if it makes an impact for the kingdom, then I'm all for it. And it's a huge tool for us to leverage, um, for an eternal impact. And so that's, uh, that's why we do it. And so we have the social media side, we have a YouTube channel, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, and we all have our individual pages as well. And then, so that's one avenue of Revive Outdoors. The second is that we put on events, and so these events can be um, specific to mobile hunting. Um, they can be specific to other things. We just recently partnered with the state um, of Alabama, the Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, to teach and help them uh, come alongside them, teach their hunting, fishing, trapping, and shooting workshops. And so what we'll be doing is we'll be serving alongside them at their events, and these are held on public land currently. And uh, our goal is to open up some private land locations with them as well and um, dive a little bit deeper into private land opportunity because like 99% of the state of Alabama is private land and, and teaching people how to, you know, ethically, morally, and uh, professionally gain access to private land and how to, to steward that opportunity well and not, you know, go in and, and cut down somebody's trees when they don't want you to or leave trash or, you know, come and go without, you know, uh, their desired, uh, you know, wants for their property. And so really just teaching people the basics of shooting, um, tree stand safety, all of those things. So we have that going on on the event side. And then we also are going to still, um, on a small, much smaller scale than in the past, still do guided hunts where we, we teach people how to hunt. So what we want Revive Outdoors to be is to be an avenue for those who have experience in any of those four categories. So hunting, shooting, trapping, and fishing to have an avenue to serve and teach someone. So you go to the workshop, you teach someone, you get paired up with someone who's brand new, who's wanting to learn and they want to, uh, you know, dive a little deeper. You have the opportunity to become a, an approved mentor and take those people one-on-one. And uh, one-on-one experience is a lot better than having 30 people show up for a weekend to a thousand acres. And, you know, that's how I've seen ministry take place in the past. And um, I think it's a great way to, you know, bring people to salvation. And I think it's a, a powerful tool, but we just want to be a little bit more, strategic and impactful, um, in our legacy with the revive outdoors. And, um, you know, I want the legacy of revive outdoors to, to be for the kingdom and be focused on the kingdom and not be focused on me or any of our team. And I want it to, to live beyond us. And, um, you know, we're in the kind of the foundational and the pivotal season to do that. And, um, we, uh, are very grateful. We're a nonprofit. So we're 501c3. And um, we have um, definitely a ton of volunteers already, but we're always looking for people that if you're interested, you know, whether you live close to Alabama or you want to, you know, serve with us remote by maybe helping with social media or different things, you know, we have a lot of different opportunities that people can use their gifts to make a difference for the kingdom. And then also we're always looking for donations. You know, we don't, you know, our budget this year is a little over a hundred thousand to operate um, all of the things that we operate and to give back the way that we do. And so we're always looking for 
donors to support that movement and to, to make a difference with us. Right. So where can folks go if they want to either learn more, donate, all that kind of stuff? Like where can they find that? I don't want to, a lot of times you listen to a podcast and they're like tuck that at the very end or something like that. So I don't, <laughs> right. don't want to do that. Like we just learned all about Revive. So where can people go to take an action right now? Yep. Reviveoutdoors.org. And um, you can see there's different uh, menus in there. Um, our surf menu has a surf contact form. We have a donate form as well. And so, uh, and you can always reach out to us uh, through our emails that are listed there on the website, but reviveoutdoors.org is the best way to do that. Excellent. Excellent. What a wonderful ministry. And that another reason I wanted to have you guys on was because of our shared faith. Like I feel like there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of opportunities for us to talk about other things that we share, our love for deer hunting, our love for turkey hunting, our love for the outdoors, our love for conservation. But it's not often that we bring uh, our love for the Lord and our faith into maybe the mainstream uh, of, of hunting and outdoor media. Uh, or if there is, there, it's kind of niched off into kind of its own its own thing. So, um, yeah, definitely glad that, uh, that we could learn a bit more about Revive Outdoors and everything you guys are doing. Uh, I'm curious about these guided hunts. So, like, how did that become a thing? Because that seems like there are a lot of hurdles to jump before you can get to the point that you're like, yeah, we're going to start doing some guided hunts. Yeah. So for me, um, I am, am very blessed with the gift of uh, getting private property permission and uh, work with a lot of really good people who are private landowners. And, um, you know, it started with me just getting permission for myself. And then when Revive Outdoors started, I started, you know, going to people I already had relationships with and saying, hey, I have this idea of people who are walking through a difficult season you know, that either self-identify or we kind of see are struggling. We just bring them out, you know, whether we, you know, we harvest anything or not, um, just getting them out there and getting them one-on-one talking with them, praying with them is going to make a difference. And so it just kind of started there. And then, um, this year we will scale it down a good bit. I, uh, you know, this turkey season, it, it honestly, it almost burned me out. I, uh, I was very fortunate. I hunted 14 times and killed 10 turkeys wow. uh, across several states, which for me, I was very efficient. For guiding, it's not always as efficient because people can't sit still, you know. Right. And so guided a lot of turkeys. I think as a team, we killed somewhere around like 20 to 30 turkeys. And wow. it, was a, it was a lot. And it's, you know, bouncing around and making sure we're not over hunting a piece of property. You know, there might be good turkeys on it, but we're not going to go and, you know, remove the whole population. And so it adds a lot of stress to me. And I just didn't feel like it was as impactful as it needed to be. So this year, what we will do is we will all transition into like one-on-one mentors and probably each guide like one or maybe a max of two people. That way it's not too much of an ask on us or our team um, or myself as well. And it allows us to teach more people through the workshops and have more energy for that. And then once the season gets here, you know, we have a more intentional uh, one-on-one mentorship process and that also aligns with what the state is already doing and so it allows us to come alongside them and be congruent in what what they're already doing and make sure that our resources that are already there are working for the same end goal instead of trying to recreate something you know i'd rather get on board with someone who's already doing something good versus trying to recreate the system right right man that's really good that's really good so let's let's pivot now. Uh, you guys both killed some beautiful velvet bucks in Tennessee, 
recently. So thank, thank you. Who uh, I, I so I, I don't even know where to go with this because this time of year I'm usually asking people like, uh, how are last minute how's last minute prep going? Like, hey, have you been shooting enough? You know, season starts in a couple of weeks. And here you guys are. You've already knocked the rust off. So who was first to strike? Uh, Justin was Saturday, uh, Saturday, Saturday morning. morning. Yeah, And then I did it. Or sun, Sunday morning. Sunday oh, yeah, morning. that's right. It was Sunday. Yeah, so Sunday morning. And then I did it Sunday afternoon. afternoon. Man. All right. So I've got to hear first, like, who was the, the crew? It sounds like there was, there was a, a whole crew of people there, not just you two. Yeah, so each year – I have gotten with a group of guys. So this is my third season going out to public land in Tennessee and the, in the CWD zone, you can use a rifle and it's a really unique opportunity that the, the state uh, DNR there in Tennessee provides us. And Justin initially was going to go with us and, you know, Justin is really good at making sure he balances family and finances and all of that. And, you know, him coming to be a part of the public land, you know, rifle hunt was just a little bit, too much strain on him and his family and I was like man your father-in-law knows a lot of people and he had already sent us a video of an awesome buck that he had found and that's not where Justin ended up hunting but Justin tapped into his resources and I commend him for doing that as you know sometimes people just want to jump on someone else's coattails and and ride them and uh, Justin put in the work to, to get a really nice property I knew when he showed it to me it's up you know, in the Nashville area, and y'all see that in the episode. Um, but when he showed me the property, I'm like, you're going to kill a buck there. I mean, there is <laughs> no doubt in my mind, if you're in the tree, you're going to kill a buck. You know, go find them and, and go kill them, and, and he did it. And uh, I commend him for putting in the work, and, you know, he jumped out of the tree Saturday because it was lightning too bad, and I'm like, man, I just have to die, you know, doing <laughs> what I love, man. I'm sorry, because yeah. I've, I've done it for three years now, so – you know, he had that buck that he ended up killing come in that afternoon in that lightning storm. And I'm like, man, I would have just had to sit through it because I went out to public land and I, I mean, I got poison oak all over me now. I get it every single time I go. It's 110 degrees. It's miserable. The mosquitoes eat you alive. The flies bite. And so, uh, yeah, so Justin, um, yeah, he put in the work. He scouted. He did exactly what he was supposed to, um, you know, was was good on his entry and exit routes and playing the wind and thermals and everything that we've learned together the last few years. You know, we're always sharing and learning things back and forth. And he put him to work and he tagged one. So I'll let him talk about it from there. But I just wanted to give him, a, you know, an attaboy. Yeah, I, yeah. Feel, I appreciate that. Man, um, so, Justin, yeah. I, I want to hear about about this property. So like, don't, don't gloss over that because if it was good enough for Taylor to be like, yeah, you're going to kill one there. Like I want to learn, I want to learn a little bit about that. Well, I will try to give you as much information as I can without giving away the location of where it's at. That's perfect. Um, but so basically Taylor and I's hunt is two completely different things, right? He's on public. I'm on private. Um, I was lined up to go uh, with them and go with the group. And my wife just kind of said, Hey, I, I kind of want you to go, but why don't we try to find somewhere where I can go? So my, my wife and her family is from the Nashville area. So the connection is already there. Right. And she said, well, I can go and visit my parents and they can see the grandkids and you can go hunt. And I was like, Oh, this is the best thing that's ever come out of your mouth. Um, besides, you know, saying I love you and I do, but anyway, um, so to fast forward about three weeks before the velvet hunt, 
my father-in-law calls me and says, Hey, I think I may have gotten you permission. Um, so I have not laid eyes on this property at all. I did, um, some e-scouting basically for two weeks. Uh, the week prior to the hunt, I was able to go up there for a day and put boots on the ground. I put cameras out where I thought the deer would be moving, you know, looking, looking at topography and really put in the work there. And, um, man, I just, uh, so when we came back, I just watched the cameras all week and I didn't have anything that I really wanted to hunt. So I wasn't motivated, but I knew the property was, was good. You know, when you have a deer that you're after, the motivation just spikes. Right. And, uh, um, so I wasn't really seeing what I wanted to see on camera. And so basically when we got to the weekend, you know, I went and set out most of the day Friday, it was a hundred degrees. And I was like, this is dumb. You know, this is, <laughs> this is not deer hunting. I've been bit over a hundred times. It's hot. I'm sweating. I'm at the point where I'm about to take my shirt off. And I was just like, this is Taylor's crazy. He got me up here and this is crazy. And you know, there's not a deer anyway. So the second day we have a big storm front roll in, like Taylor said, the lightning was terrible. And I was like, yeah. So first day is a hundred second day. It's lightning. I'm like, this is just not my weekend. It's not going to happen. Mm. Uh, so I went back to the house and, and had dinner with the family and the trail camera hits off and there he is. I oh. said, Oh, and I'm at the house. <laughs> so I actually not hunted that spot yet. That was my best spot that I'd picked out on the property. Um, and I stayed out of it because I didn't want to put a bunch of sin in it and mess it up. I just knew that there had to be something come through there and it took that front to get him up on his feet, you know, with it being so hot, the temperatures dropped 25 degrees and there he was. So what made that your best spot? So, you know, on, on this piece of property, it sounds like the whole thing was, was good, but this is obviously the, the X, what made this one stand out? So for me, I look for a lot of, uh, transition areas. Um, and so it was really close to bedding. It was about as close as I was going to be able to get on the property that I had permission to the bedding. I did not have bedding on the property, but it was right across the line. And I knew if I got in there, um, that they would use that funnel to out to the field, uh, in the evening. So, that was really where I wanted to, to check out first. And that was the first, I, when I got in there, I had, you know, tons of acorns. There was persimmon trees all in there. It was just, everything looked great. So I threw a camera up and, um, and then during the, you know, he showed up. So I guess to answer your question, you know, when I pick out a spot, that's what I look at is topography. I look for saddles, uh, funnels, you know, ridges that I feel like are going to be heavily traveled, those type of things. And then I use thermals to my advantage. You know, if I'm going to hunt high, I'm going to hunt high in the morning uh, so that my thermals will be rising. So stuff like that. Right. Right. So the field, just real quick, uh, you said they were headed to the field. What was the field planted in? It was not planted. Not it planted. was not a planted field. Okay. Right. So the, the property owner is an elderly gentleman and he's kind of let it, somewhat let the property go as far as management. Okay. Um, so it was pretty much all natural vegetation. Everything was, uh, grown up hayfield type deal. And it was, um, chest high and full of ticks. So <laughs> basically uh, my access was great, but I had to walk through tick infested hay, hayfield to get 
in and out of the property, uh, which results in all of my tick bites. Oh but, no. Hey, it was worth it. <laughs> so man, man, I, I just got to say like those, uh, fields that have become overgrown, you know, overgrown hay fields, that kind of stuff. Like they don't necessarily catch our attention as deer hunters a lot, but they really should. Like I've seen deer bedding in them. I obviously see deer feeding in them all the time. The amount of diversity that can be out there can be actually really shocking. We've got a, a hay field across the road here, and every day I drive past it. I do not have permission on this field. I am determined to get it this year. Every day I pass by, there's like six or seven does out there in the field just feeding right along the edge, uh, you know, in different spots, and it's like one of you does is coming home with me this year, and uh, it's going to happen real soon. But um, So you, you found the buck. You got a picture of him. You say it's on. What time did he come through? So the the storm front came in around four thirty or five. The first front, and then there was another front that pushed in after that, and he hit right in the middle. So there was a lull. Um, oh. And so right there in that lull is about it was about six thirty in the evening when he uh, showed up on camera. So looking at the weather forecast for the next day, um, the conditions were almost identical to that evening. Uh, we had a front early in the morning, then there was a break, and there was going to be a front midday. Um, so I knew I had to get in there. And so I got in there early, pretty much got a game plan. Um, I said, I'm going to get it, get in there early, early, and slip in quiet so I can give myself plenty of time to be slow and methodical and patient with myself and my equipment. Being August, hadn't put my hands on my equipment as much as I would have, say, November. So right. I'm still a little rusty, right? Uh, so I wanted to give myself ample amount of time to uh, just be quiet and be methodical and, and get up the tree without making as much uh, noise as I could or, you know, basically getting there stealth-like. Um, and first first front came through around 8 o'clock. It got wet, got soaked, but it cooled it off. Uh, and then as soon as that break hit around 10, 10.30, I look up and here he comes down the trail, same trail he was on last night. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is nothing but a God thing because I've never in my life seen a deer and gone in and one sit. There he was. Um, of course he did try to make it difficult and self-filming is uh, <laughs> a love hate relationship. Right. right. Uh, so he came in to my left. I had a perfect 15 yard chip shot broadside and I wasn't going to be able to get it on film. So I made the decision not to take that shot Ooh. and wait and see what happens. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't agree with this. Oh yeah. man. You know, he, it he's, is he's graduated it to is. the big leagues being, uh, he's, he's, he's get, get the shot on film first. Like that's most important. Like, man, that's yeah. a, that's a whole new level of like self-control. It, never, it is what it is. I'll never make that mistake again. I did that on a booner in Missouri and never, Ooh. never, ever again. And like, like Taylor was saying, I mean, it's, it's hit or miss, and I could have I could have missed that opportunity by doing that. And um, the Lord was working in my favor. And anyway, he ended up circling back behind me. And I mentioned thermals earlier. Uh, he got directly downwind of me. And about an hour prior to him coming in, I checked my thermals with some milkweed, and the thermals were finally rising. Mm-hmm. And so it took it took my scent above him. Um, otherwise, I think I would have been busted, and I would never have had an opportunity. But that being said, he came in and gave me a 19-yard shot just at the wrong – is the other direction. But I was able to get it on film. Everything worked out. He ran 60 yards, crashed down, and 
uh, the rest is history. But def- definitely, definitely, that was actually my biggest archery buck um, to date. So, and it, being in velvet, that's just icing on the cake. Yeah, for sure. So I, when he came in, was he coming out of the bedding like he had, like the same direction he had done the evening before? Yep. So he'd like gone in, probably bedded down before daylight, got up for a snack mid morning. That's what, I, that that's what I'm guessing. Um, as far as, uh, you know, I didn't have enough intel on him to consider it a pattern. I just knew that he was in there the night before, and that's where I needed to be if I wanted to have any chance of success. Right. Uh, with, with that being the only deer that I had seen the whole week of having cameras out that I wanted to pursue. Right, right. Man, I, I'll say this. Like, the more I talk with people who are, you know, in the outdoor industry of, like, that's what they do. They either have a TV show or, you know, they're writers or that kind of thing. Like, when we talk about early season patterns, they're very different from how I used to think about them. And they'll tell you, like, an early season pattern that they would talk about, like, on their TV show, oh, yeah, we got this buck patterned. Like, what they mean is three days. You know, they, they mean three days he's showing up in this spot and we think he's coming from over there. And, you know, I've always thought of it as like he beds in this spot, he feeds in this spot, he uses this trail, and he does it for a month. And early season, a lot of times, that's just not the case. Right. Unless you've got no, some super manicured properties. And I'll touch on something that's kind of the same topic, but so I have a, a buck here at home that's on private and I've got him patterned. But what I mean by that is, He's only daylighting on red moons. Right. Does that make sense? Right. And yep. that's a whole different topic. But if you don't know what red moon is, check that out. Um, I don't really have time to go into that. But basically, the only time he's daylighting on camera is on red moons. So that's something that I just kind of jot down. I'm like, okay, take note of that. Maybe those are days I want to be in the woods. But to go back to to having a pattern on this deer, yeah, I had no clue. I just knew that there was probably a good deer in there. And when he showed up on camera, I was like, I'm going to sit all day. That's where I need to be. Hopefully he comes back in and, and the Lord bless me. And he did, man, what a good, um, I think strategy too. It's one that I employed during the rut this past year. Um, but just knowing that I'm in the vicinity of a good buck, knowing I'm as close as I can get to betting, going in in the morning and making that decision that I'm just going to sit all day because it's, it's simply not worth it. One, you got to, crawl through this you know chest high field of ticks uh, you, you don't want to do that yeah. too many times in a day but I, I i think there's so much value if we're confident in a spot getting in there early and saying i'm sticking with it all day because if i get down that's one more chance they have to bust me hear me smell me see me whatever if i come back in in the afternoon that's one more chance they have to hear me see me smell me whatever to bust me And if we've got the day, we're so much better off just making the call, being like, you know what? He's here. I'm confident. I'm just going to sit here all day. Um, And, I mean, how often, maybe not often for you guys. I don't know. I didn't talk to you about this. But I I very often, if I've got trail cameras in the right places, I will start getting those, you know, early season. You get a bucket like 1215. It's like, well, what was that for? You know, he just pops by the feeder at 1215 or he pops on the edge of a food plot or you know, shows up at the, at the Oak tree at 1215 and you get one or two pictures. Like he just strolled through, grabbed a snack and he's gone. But there's always that chance. Uh, if you're confident that you're close to him. So I'm, I'm curious now you get the bug. Is that your first velvet buck? Yes. And largest buck to date with a largest, bow? Uh, largest archery bug. Yes, man. Okay. All right. So 
what happens next? Do you do you lose your mind and fall out of the tree? No. Um, so if you really want to see the true raw reaction, we're we're about to put uh, the footage together and going to put that on our YouTube channel. Nice. Uh, make sure you check that out at Revive Outdoors. But uh, yes, essentially, I I lost my mind. Um, <laughs> that was pure raw emotion, and I'm almost to the point. If I didn't love hunting so much, I would consider it embarrassing. Right. Um, but knowing how much effort and how much uh, blood, sweat, and tears go into chasing these beautiful animals, uh, it all came out in one one moment, and I, I wouldn't change it. Right, right. Um, so, but, you know, being by myself um, and just getting to experience that with just me and God and thanking him for – because that didn't have to happen, and that doesn't happen. That's not a normal – you know, you'll hear Taylor's story. He's been going up there for three years, blood, sweat, and tears, poison oak, <laughs> and it's taken him three years to do what I did in a day. Um, so that's not a that's not something that just happens. Right. Um, so I truly believe that that this is just an instance where God decided to bless me with uh, an opportunity. So what did what did that care for the animal look like? I mean, did you have buddies to call like right away to come help you get it out of the field? And what in the world do you do with velvet antlers? So I'm going, um, <clears throat> I hope to hunt Tennessee next year, early season. But I also plan to hunt North Dakota for the opener uh, next year in uh, early September for velvet bucks. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what do I even do with velvet antlers? Like, <laughs> like once I, I, I'm at the point, I'm such a novice. I've never shot a velvet buck. Like, well, I shot a velvet spike when I was like 19 or something like that. So yeah. I, I don't really count that, right? So what do you, what do you even do? So I was kind of in the same boat you were in as far as um, the knowledge on hey, what, how to preserve, what do we need to do. Um, with it being August for Tennessee, it's very hot. Uh, so obviously I had to field dress the deer pretty quick, um, drag him, get him to the processor so I can save the meat. Because uh, as a hunter, that's to me that's the most important thing is, is being able to um, – enjoy the meat that we're going to harvest right right so i don't want anything to go to waste um but secondly everything that i've read and been told on a velvet buck is you need to get it in the freezer as soon as possible so whether that be at your taxidermist or in your personal freezer or whatever um so I, luckily where i was at there was a processor just close by and then a local taxidermist that I'd done some research on to make sure I'm not just dropping my deer off with some Joe blow down the street. Uh, but a reputable company that's going to do good work. And I was able to get my deer, um, to him and get it in the freezer. Uh, so everything should be preserved. And, and they, I think they inject it with formaldehyde or something. I don't know what they do. Uh, that's not my expertise, but they do uh, something to it to preserve it and make it, uh, last. So. Right. Right. Well, I mean, just, just from your perspective though, like, like what you did was, was all you needed to do. Like you had done your research, you knew where a processor was, you knew where there was a taxidermist who would do decent work. Like you got an 80 degree day, 85 degree day. I don't know how hot it was going to get that day, but you got to get moving quick. Like you don't, you really don't have a lot of time before uh, you either start losing the meat or the hide. You know, the hide can start, if you let it sit for too long, the hide can start pulling hair and that kind of stuff. Like you, right. you did what you needed to do. Right, so everything that unfolded, I had already pre-planned in my head. Okay, if I kill a deer, I'm going here, 
if I, if it's a deer worth mounting, I'm going to take it here. Um, all that stuff was, was pre-planned for me. Um, just so that I would not have to be scrambling at the moment. Um, because the last second scrambling does nothing but stress me out. Right. And so if I have a plan, I've always been a planner. I don't know why, but that's just kind of who I am. I don't know if it's the fire service in me, but I like to have a schedule and like to do things a certain way. And so if I got something planned out, then that to me, the stress level drops. Yeah, for sure. All right. So you went through Saturday thunderstorm caused you to leave, cost you the buck. Uh, but then Sunday you make it right. You had just a couple of hours to, to gloat and rub it in Taylor's face that you got a velvet buck and he did. <laughs> and he did. Yeah, so. You know, it, it, it was, <laughs> I love Taylor death and we've spent a lot of time together and I knew sending that picture was not going to sit well with him originally as happy <laughs> as he was going to be with me for me right. because of, because of the difference of stories. And I'll let you tell him, tell his, um, three years versus one day. It's a lot of grind. Right. Um, right. And so that, that congratulations, I'm happy for you. I knew he was, but I knew deep down that just made him want to grind harder that afternoon. And, uh, God, I think, I think the Lord's so much that he was able to, to fill his tag as well. Yeah, for sure. So, all right, Taylor, man, your story is very different, but I feel like an awesome one all the same. So do you want to start us way back? Oh, wait, 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 Justin. We didn't talk about the buck. You didn't tell me, tell me about the deer. Oh man! So we'll just get into it real quick. Is beautiful, typical eight point. Um, he he came in like I said, went behind and ran ten yard or sixty yards down the ridge. I was able to field dress him. I drug him out by myself, uh, which was miserable. Um, and then called my father-in-law, and he brought. Uh, my wife up there so we could get a picture together and enjoy that moment um together that's the first time that she's been able to be out in the field with me um with a successful harvest and so that was just it brought it all together and you know with it being her idea originally to go that route instead of going public with taylor it was um it just kind of put everything in perspective that you know this is what it's about this is it's not necessarily about the deer you got you got the, the horns and that's great um but man, this is about family. It's about right. life. It's about experiences. It's about memories. And overall, I think I got I got the best out of my situation that I had. That's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, please go subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcast. And if you can leave us a review, I would really appreciate that. Until next week, let's keep doing things the Southern way.